Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Well, good afternoon, Paula. What's up, ma'am? Not much. Thought it would be a good time to do a podcast. Yep. Are you feeling old today? Not too bad. You're talking about my birthday yesterday, I guess. Yep. Happy birthday again. So for just a few days... I'm a year older than you are. There you go. I'm married to an old man. Mm-hmm. We were born 10 days apart. Yeah. You can tell I'm old by the gray in my hair. No gray in my hair, bud. Mm-mm. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to knock out this podcast. we got something great to share with our audience, and we're doing it a little earlier than we normally would because we're traveling to Mississippi this weekend. Yep. I think you're ready to roll. The hay is in the barn, as your friend Steve likes to say. Yes. Nothing I can do to improve other than rest. That's right. So in today's podcast, let's talk about swimming. I know in our introductory podcast, we alluded to some of our experience getting started with swimming, but let's go into that a little bit deeper and let's talk about how we progressed as swimmers. Yeah, I think you and I both came into triathlon as total newbies to swimming, so I thought it might be fun if we just shared our individual journeys and what helped us become better swimmers. Yeah, let's do that. All right. I can start. Sure. I I guess since I started swimming first. You sure did. It was quite a while ago. I got the wild hair idea that I wanted to do a triathlon, the first inaugural Lakewood Valley Triathlon sponsored by the YMCA. So first of all, I had to join the YMCA because I didn't have any place to swim. I just remember those first few days swimming, jumping in, putting my goggles on, leaning into the water, pushing off the wall, barely making it to the other end, grabbing the wall, catching my breath. But day after day, practice after practice, gradually got to where I was comfortable swimming the 800 yards that was expected in the triathlon. Uh, And then I started trying to get faster. It was always the competitive one not just trying to finish, wanted to be competitive. And so continued working. I actually got to where in the pool I could swim close to 15 minutes for the 800 yards. So I was pretty excited going into Lakewood, thinking the swim was going to be a breeze. The bike was going to be tough because of the hills. And then my strong suit is the run, but the swim turned out to be a little more challenging. Yeah, I think we talked about that in podcast too. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we did. Pretty sure he was the last one out of the water that day, even though he started in the first wave. I think you're you're right. There's no video evidence of this, but I'll I'll take your word for it. Were there even video cameras back then? (laughs) I don't know. So getting ready for this podcast, I tried to find the Lakewood Valley results. They're no longer available on the internet as far as I can tell. I could probably find them in our local newspaper if I went to the public library. There you go. Research project. But not today. 
Nope, not today. If I had to guess, my time was around 21 minutes. Using the information and the techniques that we're going to be covering in this podcast, I was able to progress from a pace at Lakewood of around 2 minutes 37 seconds per 100 to a pace of a minute 39 when I competed in the Ironman World Championship, swimming the 2.4 miles in 70 minutes. So consistency, patience, and technique really pays off. So how about your start as a swimmer? Well, it's kind of like I said in podcast three, I think, is I grew up not just in the water, but in open water. My family were avid boaters and water skiers. We were kind of crazy. My brother taught me to barefoot. I did it several times on the boom, but I actually only was successful once behind the boat, and that was coming off a kneeboard. And it was the most amazing feeling until it wasn't. When I fell, you just go tumbling across the water like it's a hard surface because you're going so fast. The pain outlasted the glory. I I never barefooted (laughs) again after that. But my brother, Randy, he's quite the accomplished barefooter. He deep water starts and all the things. So anyway, I was very comfortable in the water. I can remember a picture of you in some short sleeve wetsuit hanging off the boom, Mm -hmm. just cruising along barefoot right up against the boat. It's relatively easy to barefoot on a boom, but coming off the kneeboard, that's a whole new level. I remember barefooting off the boom, but I don't think I was ever successful off the kneeboard. Anyway, that was definitely my past. A little bit off point, but it was kind of an interesting story. I'd never had a swim lesson. I'd never swam laps. So when I delved into triathlon, I'm just going to say I was 100% newbie. And so swimming was my biggest hurdle. So, and like Dean, I started quote-unquote swimming laps, if you could call it swimming. But I seriously had to stop every three or four strokes and catch a breath. Like, I didn't even get down to the other end. I'm surprised the lane lines. I'm surprised I didn't break one of those. I had to grab one several times. I think the lifeguards always got out of their seat when I started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know it's true. Soon thereafter, because we had, this was in January, we had signed up for Augusta. 70.3. Yeah, half Ironman. So soon after, I decided I needed an intervention, and I think you were ready to improve your swimming as well. So we ordered those Terry Laughlin DVD training series. And we would go to the, actually the warm pool at our health club is three feet deep, so we could touch pretty much all the way across. I think it gradually got a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. but we just religiously went and did all the drills. It's the total immersion program. Um, and honestly, I know a lot of people criticize that program a little bit, but it's absolutely what I needed at that time because I was swimming almost with my legs pointed down to the to the bottom. I think my swim was more of a, they call it a doggy paddle or something. Yeah. I think the total immersion program was good for me as well. Just, learn some basics on how to be balanced in the water and and how proper technique can make you move through the water with a lot less effort. Mm-hmm. So really as a result of that training, I'm going to say that the, my biggest takeaway from the total immersion training is I feel like my body position is really good and that I do not create a bunch of drag, unnecessary drag 
in the water. So my steep, my feet do stay, I would say, very close to the surface of the water. Yeah. So in addition to the videos, we made a trip to Atlanta, Georgia, to a total immersion clinic one weekend, and that was that was really good to have some experienced swim coaches watch us swim and critique our technique and take video of us swimming and then show it to us and point out things that we couldn't see, we couldn't feel in the water that were holding us back. I'll tell you what I could feel in that water. Was My that? lips were blue. It that was, was cold. Some ice cold water. Indoor. It, I don't know why it was so cold. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the first pool I'd ever been in where it had the bottom raised and so it would stay very shallow for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was shallow, wasn't it? Yes, which remind me to bring that up later because I have a story to tell about that shallow water. So we made the trip to Augusta, Georgia for the half Ironman. And I remember doing some research and figuring out the wetsuit rules and and thinking and hoping that the water would be cold enough that we could wear a wetsuit. I borrowed a wetsuit from a, a friend who had done a few triathlons. And I believe you went ahead and bought a wetsuit. I bought an orca. I felt like an orca <laughs> <laughs> in that wetsuit. <laughs> Just couldn't swim like one. <laughs> you swam pretty fast with that strong current. Yeah, that's the research I did was I heard if you swam a little bit of distance away from the shoreline, you'd be in a stronger current. That was my research. That's how great I was at swimming by this point. <laughs> but we both made it. We did. So just a little bit about wetsuit rules because we had done some research on it. So the Ironman events allow you to wear a wetsuit if the water temperature on race morning is below 76.1. And then if you're doing a USAT event, the water needs to be below 78 degrees. And in some of the triathlons we did later on, the water temperature was warmer than that. So we had swim skins. And they're similar to a wetsuit, except they don't have any rubber in them to add the buoyancy. But we had a Blue 70 swim skin, and we had a DeSoto swim skin. And I don't know if they made us any faster. Supposedly, you're more slippery through the water. But I know I felt faster having the swim skin on. And I guess the other thing that I did to help become more slippery was shaving anything that was not covered up by the swim skin. Trying to get all the advantage I could. Yeah. Except my head, which was going to be covered up with a swim cap. But did it make me any faster? I don't know. Did I look fast? You look super fast. Okay. Well, that counts for something. So when I got back from the total immersion swim camp, I was faster. I got to where I could get up and down the lanes, going back and forth. But then it was like I plateaued. Like I could glide through the surface of the water. And when I'd get out of the water, friends who were swimmers would come and comment to me just how amazing my swim stroke looked and while that was nice to hear i was getting frustrated because this amazing looking swim was not transferring into better swim paces and so i was getting frustrated so i thought well i'm gonna do a little bit more research and 
I think what I realized is what I was lacking is power. So I just kind of want to make an analogy to bike riding for a minute, if that's okay with you. Yes. So just suppose I have my bike set up to where it's the exact perfect bike fit and that my body is just in the most envious aero position that you ever could see and I'm spinning at a cadence that's ideal for me. So someone in the distance might see me riding down this road thinking, oh my goodness, that's an amazing biker. But I have my bike in the easiest gear. Am I really going anywhere? It's, I mean, it's going to look good and it's going to feel good and my heart rate's not going to be up. But if the bike's in the easiest gear, and let's just say I have a tailwind too and I'm on a flat road, <laughs> like... I'm not going anywhere because I don't have any power. And I think that's where I was when I finished the total immersion. Like, I looked good. My body position was good. But I had no understanding of how to actually generate resistance in the water and power in the water. To fix my bike problem was real easy. If I could maintain that cadence and click the buttons to make my gears harder that is going to equate into more power and more speed under those conditions. But with swimming, what I found is it seemed like sometimes the harder I worked, I was just thrashing. I knew I needed to work harder, but every time I worked harder, I was losing my body position. I was creating more drag and I wasn't increasing my pull. So that's when I really started doing a ton of research and asking a lot of questions. I know uh, Jan Alvey, I probably drove her crazy. I was texting her all the time. She was a big help. She's a local friend and a, a great swimmer and coach. She helped me and just talked to a lot of different people. And I think where it clicked with me the best, though, was in the Swim Speed Secrets book by Sheila Tarmina. She kind of breaks all the stereotypes of what a great olympic swimmer looks like like she's five foot two i mean she doesn't come up to the shoulder blades of most swimmers who have her swim times she really did a great job in her book of explaining how you position your arm in the water and all the work that has to happen underneath the surface of the water by positioning your arm correctly feeling that water pulling yourself through that water and, and that book was just so helpful to me i think maybe we should post a, a blog to go along with this podcast that has some pictures of arm positions and that type of thing i think that would be very helpful yeah that would be helpful i'll take your picture oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure we could find pictures of someone else swimming although i, I do have a video that i'm pretty proud of there was a coach that uh i went to a swim camp and there was a coach who posted one of my swims with the early vertical forearm that's required or some people call it the high elbow that's required to really get your arm in position to pull that water and that's what i was going to say i was going to loop back to that total immersion camp i kept telling the instructor my times are faster and i just feel like i'm Swim, like I just feel like I'm swimming so much faster when I'm in that 
area of the pool that's really shallow. And he's like, oh, you just feel more comfortable, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, seriously, I'm not scared in deep water. Like, there is something I'm doing differently. But what happened was, because the water was shallow, it forced me to put my lever in that position Mm -hmm. that would push the water. And Dean's sitting here looking at me. I know you guys can't see me, but I'm actually demonstrating what that's supposed to look like. (laughs) Yeah, I could see being in shallow water. Instead of pushing water down towards the bottom of the pool, it has to go backward. Yes, that's the best I've heard it articulated. (laughs) That is the exact reason for that early vertical forearm is because if you're pushing water down, you're not pulling your body forward. If you're pushing down, then that's going to raise your head up and your legs are going to sink and you're going to create more drag. So you want to be pulling the water backwards. Yes. So there's definitely work that you can create with your arms. It's going to increase your effort and do very little to increase your speed. It has to really be technical. Swimming is much harder than just switching a bike gear to to improve speed. So in this book, she talked about the high elbow entry or the early vertical forearm, as some people refer to it. A couple of things that Jan Alvey used to tell me is think about there being a barrel under the surface of the water and you kind of reach your arm out over that barrel and wrap your arm around that barrel and push that barrel all the way out of the water behind you as you pull your body past the barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, that always really helped me. And then another tip, and I can't even remember who told me this, but another tip that I really think about often when I'm swimming is think about pulling myself through the water, just like I would be using my arms to pull myself through a tunnel or anything. Like, just really think about mm-hmm that propelling yourself forward constantly so really as i mindfully thought of these two things and got my arm into that position to where i was actually catching the water creating that resistance with the water that's when my swim it also helps with your body position because the faster you're going through the water the more those legs rise to the surface as well that was helpful but it was really exciting to watch my paces continue to improve of course once you start getting that catch in the water you're going to be breathing even harder because it creates resistance it creates work so after i figured it out i then had to train doing that and let my body swim fitness catch up my upper body strength to catch up to what my arms were trying to do and i know you were always real adamant that i did band work stretchy band work to build strength in my upper body. Right. So let's talk about drills. Now, these are drills that we started working on after we were comfortable swimming, but we wanted to get faster. And one of them is the penguin drill. And this is a drill where you're keeping your arms wide when you're putting them in the water to begin your stroke and exaggerated wide, or so you think. I know me and you looking at each other when we're doing this, that it seems a lot wider in the water than what it actually is. And I think that's part of the purpose for that drill is what we're trying to avoid is having that arm and hand cross over in front of the head. We want to keep it off to the side. 
And this helps emphasize that your hand may not be where you thought it was. Make it just a little wider. Yeah, and the purpose of that wide entry is it just positions your shoulder in a manner to which it's much easier to get into that early vertical forearm. Where if you're crossed over in front of you, you almost have to take that arm out to push yourself sideways first when really you're just wanting to always pull yourself forward. So that wider entry gets that hand and forearm in position immediately to immediately pull the body forward rather than pushing it down or up or sideways. Yeah. Another drill was sculling. What we mean by sculling is using basically just your hands and forearms to pull yourself through the water, two hands at a time, just practicing that catch and just a slight pull. Yeah. Sculling is kind of hard to explain just with audio, but you can Google some videos of sculling. But to me, what helps with sculling, if if I get in the pool and I feel like I'm not doing a good job catching the water and pulling that water backward, then I'll take a step back and start doing some schooling just to remind my body what it feels like to catch that water with my palm and my forearm. And so that just really gets my brain in tune to, okay, if I'm not feeling that resistance when I'm swimming, then I'm not catching the water correctly. I'm probably not getting into my early vertical forearm position. So I really like schooling just to help my brain track to catching that water. And I know people talk about the feel of the water, the catch of the water, or catching the water, and it never made any sense to me. And if if you don't know what I'm talking about, just hang in there, keep working on getting your arm in position and pulling that water backward. Because once you do feel the water and catch the water, it's going to transform the way your entire swim feels. And there were days when I was first learning, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm in the groove. I can really feel the water and I can really feel myself pulling myself through the water. And then the next morning I would try again and it didn't feel that way at all. So really learning to swim is not linear. It's a, it's a gradual, perplexing process. It takes patience. It does. So another drill is what we call the, the banded leg drill, which is where you take a TheraBand and wrap it around your ankles. And this is a more advanced drill because this is really forcing you to not use your legs and really focusing on the balance and pulling yourself through the water. That's one of the more difficult drills. Yeah, it is a difficult drill and you definitely want to have some ability to propel yourself through the water before you try this drill. But it just really, it just really clears up the fact that you have to keep your body moving in order to keep it in a nice horizontal position. And another drill is the one-arm drill. This is another one that really emphasizes working on balance and doing a good job with that one arm, catching water and and pulling yourself through. But that's another advanced drill that is really difficult for beginning swimmers to, to make it from one length of the pool to the other. So probably my only tool... My only toy that I take to the pool with me, other than, you know, goggles, swim cap, and normal things, is a pool buoy. And I would say I do 90% of my swims with a pool buoy now. I just take that pool buoy and I shove it between my thighs. 
and it just quiets my legs completely. So I just point my toes, keep my legs and ankles together, totally take my legs out of the picture. They're just floating on the surface and I'm able to completely concentrate on what my upper body's doing and what my arms are doing to propel my body forward. I love the pool buoy. Now, obviously, when I swam the triathlon, use Ironman Louisville, for example, I couldn't use a pool buoy. I was so used to being in that horizontal, flat position with my legs quieted that, honestly, my wetsuit provided just enough buoyancy where it... I acted as if I had a pool buoy. I never used my legs in Ironman Louisville. I just... Just point your toes. I just pointed my toes, kept my legs together on the surface, and cranked my arms until I got to the exit. Now, more advanced swimmers, people that grew up swimming, competitive swimming, they may have really good leg technique, kicking technique. I found, you found, that we can be quite successful in triathlon swimming without really using our legs. And actually using our legs tended to slow us down. I know I couldn't feel this under the water, but video showed I had this massive scissor kick. It was helping me rotate from side to side as I was taking a stroke, but it really wasn't propelling at all. And when I used a kickboard, it would just wear me out. And sometimes I would even end up going backwards. So like you, I learned to just quiet my legs and I often use the pool buoy as well. You know, you're talking about body rotation. That's another thing that when I was in total immersion, and of course you have to remember that the instructors of total immersion are master swimmers, and what they're saying and what I'm hearing is probably two different things. But I came away from there working so much on my side-to-side hip rotation that I wasn't working on anything that was actually going to propel me forward. So when I read Sheila's book, the Swim Speed Secrets book, it just really talked about how with beginning swimmers, don't even focus on that hip rotation. That if you get your body into a nice horizontal flat position on the surface of the water and you get your arms pulling the way they need to pull, that the stronger you get, the more you'll engage your core And that rotation doesn't happen in isolation. It happens as a natural part of getting more power as you learn to pull yourself through the water. So that really helped me too. I stopped worrying about twisting side to side and I started thinking about pulling myself forward. But the other thing I want to caution too is just because something's written on a master's class board doesn't mean it's effective use of a triathlete's time. For example, it may say use a zipper drill or a fingertip drag drill and they'll have you do 100 yards doing one of those drills. But the fact of the matter is what your arm's doing when it's outside of the water is not what's propelling you forward. You'll watch successful like winning swim leg triathletes swim and you'll watch some of them have a complete straight arm recovery. They bring their arm out of the water and they almost have a locked elbow or some with a side-armed recovery or some have more of the fingertip drag. But you just have to figure out what's efficient to get your arm back into that wide entry so that you get an early vertical forearm. And for me, I was doing the zipper drills and everything. And so 
that's what my recovery looked like. But what I found works best for me is I almost do. It's not a locked elbow arm, but I do a pretty straight arm and almost a side-armed recovery. But one of my other takeaways as I've learned to swim is swim in open water, swim in crowds, learn to sight. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So in triathlon, find those buoys and swim buoy to buoy to buoy. Swim a bunch too. It builds endurance and it's low impact on the body. So the more fit you are for the swim, then the more energy you're going to have reserved for the bike and run portions of the triathlon. And I second that, that it's so important to practice open water swimming. When I was training for that first triathlon, I felt like I was going to be pretty fast. Then I got in the open water, I panicked, I was really slow. And then over the years, I got more comfortable swimming in open water. My times got to be where they were comparable in the pool versus in open water. But it's important that you practice in open water. It's important you practice with other people, not just for the experience of bumping other people or the waves, but also for safety reasons. You don't want to be in open water by yourself. I know you spent a lot of hours and I spent a lot of hours spotting each other when we were swimming in a lake. One would be coasting on a jet ski and the other would be stroking along in the water hours at a time. That's a nice way to spend a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Any time with you is good. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you, hon. If you have an online coach, they probably have the ability for you to submit or upload video footage to them. I know it's very helpful to our athletes if we can actually see some video footage of some underwater cam swimming and then above water cam swimming and then we can give them specific feedback. We want to give instruction that's meaningful to where the athlete currently is. So if you can actually visualize what the athlete's doing, then it's nice to provide video. And now it's it's nice, especially with these Zoom calls, you can just pull that video up on the screen and point some things out to the athlete. And so there's a lot of technology that I'm sure if you have an online coach that you're getting specific feedback. I know we like to provide that for our athletes. Yeah, I agree with you. It's so important to have the right technique and having somebody look at it can really identify where you may be missing the mark. So as we come to a close of this podcast, I'd just like to summarize that swimming requires good technique. It requires consistency and it requires patience. And if you stick with it, you can be successful. If I can, anybody can. Well, before we wrap up this podcast, I want to share a scripture. It's Isaiah 28, 25. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. I was just thinking about this in in terms of swimming. We're trying to be level. We're trying to get through the water smoothly. But in life... Having that right relationship with the Lord is what makes everything smooth. Amen, brother. Hey, also, we're working on building a community for our podcast listeners. So if you'd like to become a part of the conversation or if you have suggestions on future podcast topics, go to Facebook and search 
RYR Endurance Team, and we'll let you into our group. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.